Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Steve Massey, who's the co-founder and CEO of Pruitt Ridge, a company founded in 2019 to tackle the largest meta problem in deep tech, systems engineering, and Steve brings five years of SpaceX experience and two years of Slingshot Aerospace experience to this company. He talks about how he started this company, how he got his co-founder Zeke on board, the timing behind starting Pruitt Ridge, how Steve decided on his ideal customer, getting a partnership with NASA JPL, which was obviously huge for the company, his experience going through Techstars, and the communication between him and his investors. He talks about some of the various ones he got on board, and what he learned working for companies like SpaceX and Slingshot Aerospace that he's brought now to Pruitt Ridge. All of that and more in this episode. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Steve Massey, co-founder and CEO of Pruitt Ridge. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Justin. Excited to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. And there's a lot to talk about with this company. It's only been around you know, less than a year or so. But with Pruitt Ridge, what are you doing today with the company? Yeah, so right now we're working on our core systems engineering, digital engineering offering. Uh, we're working with our uh, first set of users. Uh, we've really been grateful to work with the team over at NASA JPL to really uh, put the, the product through its paces. And then as we're getting good feedback on that, we're going to start to expand out to uh, a couple of early early stage customers. And with that as well, I mean, we're definitely going to go through that and talking about how you got them on board and how you're going about that process. But I love hearing about the beginning. How did you decide in the first place to start this company? Yeah, I mean, this was born out of uh, core frustration since the beginning of my career. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it comes down to uh, engineering is already hard enough as it is. Uh, why are we making it so much harder uh, when it comes to managing and destroying and like just working with teams and the products. Like why are things so hard? Um, this was born out of oh man, probably the first five years of my career. Uh, I spent time at SpaceX in a group called uh, Mission Management. And we had uh, a really, really interesting role there where we had one foot in the world of the way SpaceX does engineering uh, and engineering management and systems engineering and another fo- uh, foot in the world of our customers uh, that were, especially in the time period, 2013 to, to 18 when I was there, uh, we were a little bit earlier and somewhat unproven in, in many ways. And we had to, our group was responsible for that mapping of uh, the SpaceX way of doing things into the uh, more traditional aerospace way of doing things. So we saw some of the disconnects and then some of the uh, frustrations that came out of communicating that. And even um, just to the general day-to-day of, of managing a, a high level um, spacecraft mission, which was our actual day job there, um, <laughs> building out, thinking through the solutions that we wish we had to that. And then finally seeing them later at, at the next company I worked at, uh, and then just, just, uh, taking a chance to go and go and build solutions to that. For that, Steve, so understand that you have a clear understanding of the problem just because you've experienced it yourself. And that's, that's a trend with many entrepreneurs and having that then, what were the first things you did? I mean, convincing a co-founder to join you? How did that go? Yeah, so uh, my co-founder, uh, uh, Zeke Bertel and I, uh, we actually met at SpaceX. He originally was in um, the Fairing Avionics Group, working on recovery, and then transitioned into uh, the other half of mission management that worked primarily with government missions. So he had a, 
even a different cross-sectional view of how to bridge that gap between what we were doing at the company and, and externally more for uh, Air Force and NASA. And uh, there was a lot of very manual processes that we had to do just day to day, like even as far as like, we'd be sent over a, a PDF that was clearly run through, a, through the facts a few times and we'd have to break that down into uh, requirements and verification events and enter into our system that was not able to be manually pulled necessarily. And then doing a lot of like interaction with the rest of the, the, the teams in order just to get the work done. And that's, you know, that, that, that's like pretty standard one of the mill for, um, you know, every aerospace company in, in existence <laughs> today. Um, so, you know, we, we definitely worked with it while also kind of working on the side with different, um, uh, trying to make improvements where we can, uh, working with, with the other teams, just standardizing files and, and, and project structures. But as we were doing all of that, for about a year, he and I worked in uh, kind of an interesting uh, side project called uh, the uh, Hyperloop and the special projects group there. And that was the exact opposite of everything we were doing in mission management. This was like, uh, I would describe it as almost real-time engineering because we needed to go, go, go and build these, uh, I, I would call them experimental electric race cars made out of parts <laughs> we had at, at SpaceX and Tesla. And just the process of going through that engineering effort uh, and the ability just to AD that experience for a full year was uh, very transformative and very influential, I feel. With that experience then as well, I mean, how did that aid into the timing of when you actually want to start this? I know you mentioned it obviously joined another company after SpaceX, but the timing on starting it, you had this issue even at SpaceX, you joined a different company. Tell me through the timing of deciding to start the company. Yeah, and that's a that's a good question. And so, um, you know, Zeke and I, my co-founder, we were very close friends before we founded a company. Uh, he got me into climbing. You know, he's he's, uh, <laughs> he's he's the kind of person that'll like you know push you in like the most healthy way possible. Like, took me up bouldering once and uh, set up the ropes and said, "Hey, you wanna you wanna climb that?" And you know, I got it like halfway up, not even halfway, and came back down. But went back the next day and like you know with with the encouragement and went up went up the full wall. And so. It's it's nice to have a relationship that you just have the type of implicit trust you get from that, yeah. uh, and uh, that was back before we even decided to find the company. Um, after SpaceX, um, I realized I wanted to like see a different part of engineering. Uh, I joined a startup in the LA area called uh, Slingshot Aerospace uh, that's focusing on um, artificial intelligence and, and algorithms, primarily for the defense community. And, and during that time, I saw. Um, a lot of similar things going on in industry. You know, we were a small startup doing things our way that was very fast and efficient. We're also interacting with uh, major prime contractors. Uh, and I saw, I was basically doing very similar mapping effort that I was at SpaceX, despite having a totally different role of leading this engineering team. During this time, Zeke and I were climbing all the time and we started talking about some of the challenges he was continuing to experience and that I was also experiencing. And we uh, thought, well, maybe this is, uh, this is the time to, to start something. So, uh, this time last summer, uh, yeah. So last summer we started looking at the market. We took a look at what tools were out there that, uh, we could have used in our current roles if we wanted to, you know, really understand the competitors. And we saw that there were two camps that the tools fell into. Uh, one was this more traditional approach uh, with the major offerings from uh, like, like, like IBM or uh, Katia Nomagic, uh, Jump Software, and like they were very like some degree of handholding was required to, to manage those tools. Very powerful for what they do, uh, 
but you need to hire almost an army of engineers to uh, manage and administer those tools. And then you have an organizational structure that starts to look like what it would look like if you just have an army of, of managerial engineers doing that, doing that effort. On the other end, we, we interviewed a lot of friends of ours at early stage startups, a lot of folks that have like gone off to start their own effort and want to know what do they do for their, even just requirements management and uh, that systems engineering concept. And these early stage companies, there's like four or five people and their, their um, processes looked a lot closer to what we were doing on Hyperloop because you're, you're small, you're all in the same room or at least on the same Zoom call these days uh, <laughs> and you're able to, to iterate rapidly. Uh, and there wasn't really anything in the middle. Um, we did notice that the folks that stood up uh, the teams with uh, that real-time engineering of emailing cell files back and forth, uh, you'll get to a, a point about five or 10 engineers where uh, that starts to fall over. And the process is almost universally to graft a layer of Jira ticketing workflow on top of it. And then that'll work for a little while. But as you're doing all of that, you miss out of you miss out on all of these awesome, actually very valuable features you need uh, that you get in your, your IBM doors or your Java software is that uh, th these robust uh, validation and verification efforts that you are absolutely necessary if you're building something that, you know, you're flying humans to space, or you're building yeah. a self-driving car, or if you're building a, a autonomous aircraft of some kind, like you need to prove that you've built the correct thing, which is why then you start to purchase one of those tools and then you build up an organizational structure around making sure uh, you are compliant uh, in those ways. So we wanted to build a tool that felt that that allowed you to remain in that rapid fire, very nimble engineering effort uh, for longer, while still allowing you to either eventually grow into one of those tools or um, remaining uh, keeping that fast paced development effort without having to do that massive team expansion quite as quickly. When you had those those insights from talking to you know friends of at different companies and kind of figuring this this market out, understand there was a gap there. What did you think around your ideal customer and who that might be back then? Yeah, and so one of the things we're really thinking through uh, because th there are many potential customers in market segments. I mean, we, we yeah. really think that if we're able to make, um, we'll take a step back. Um, complex engineering doesn't have any tools. Uh, that are as powerful or as transformative as Git uh, was for the software engineering. And Git was developed specifically by Linus Torvalds to solve a problem that he had, which was managing the Linux kernel and everyone that um, you know, needs to help contribute to that, that piece of software. And he wanted to continue to make good software. So he took yeah. a step back, he built out Git, and then he rolled that out for his team. And now it's in front of every software engineer, software developer, all the way down to the, you're just writing your first hello world, uh, <laughs> all the way to the most complex uh, pieces of software ever. And I think that's a really, really good indication of uh, well-built uh, software that has changed and accelerated the way we've, we've, we've built things that touch all of our lives. You don't really have anything like that in engineering right now. And uh, the way we're, we see that is that that's, that's kind of to be expected. Uh, because Linus Torvald had the skills to build uh, build that tool that would help him. Where if you're building, um, you know, you're building a, a, a uh, you're building a, an airplane, and you might have the most brilliant propulsion engineers uh, and uh, people designing like your next generation jet aircraft, your next generation jet engine. Um, 
you know, they, they might not have the skills necessary to build out uh, enterprise software uh, and deploy that safely. Like that's just not like that would be a waste <laughs> of their time to, to, to know that. And so you haven't seen anyone take a step back and really tackle this problem uh, at that, that macro level yet. And so we want to eventually get to the point where uh, if you're working on a complex deep tech problem, and I define deep tech as any project that has two or more engineers, where at least one of those engineers is not software, uh, we want you using our software. Yeah. And we think we can capture, if we build the right tool, we'll be able to capture enough of a segment of the, the market and transform engineering the same way that Git has transformed software development. With that as well, when you decide to quit the company, obviously you decided to start this company, how do you think around, the, I think about the funding side of this in terms of how you're going to go about funding this business, getting the capital you need to bring to build a team, et cetera. How do you think about that? Yeah, since, since we're software, um, you know, we don't have as high of capital constraints as uh, building a pure hardware company. Sure. Uh, we don't need to, we don't have a requirement to lease office space and hire a very large team uh, of specialists and then invest hundreds of thousand dollars on like custom hardware. So we really did have the luxury of taking a step back and thinking, well, do we want to bootstrap just the two of us? Do we want to uh, raise venture or do we want to, uh, you know, see what we can do with government grants? Yeah. And uh, we bootstrapped for the first out of four or five months, uh, but we also got involved with Techstars early. Um, we've made the decision that we do actually want to go the venture pathway, especially since COVID started. We started this company before COVID happened. Uh, and so when COVID hit, we wanted to uh, make sure we could um, bring on enough talent uh, and engineers to help us build this out in a way that we can actually be helpful for all the companies coming out of the other side of COVID. And so yeah. that made that really drove us a decision to be a venture backed company. At that point, it made sense to go through uh, an accelerator. Uh, we looked at both uh, YC and Techstars, and we had like I had a very strong connection to Techstars because the company that I had just uh, uh, quit from, uh, Slingshot Aerospace, they went through Techstars and they spoke very highly of it. And I even got to go to one of their demo days a few years back, and I just found it really exciting. Um, it was going to be in Los Angeles, and they had this uh, aerospace cohort. So we we um, applied, uh, went through the process and we got in and we were in the, um, summer class for the Techstar Starburst Space Accelerator. Uh, during that time, we also went through a small pre-seed process, um, and we, you know, raised a, a small amount that allowed us to build out a team of, um, two other, uh, full-time engineers and then, uh, two other, uh, part-time engineers, uh, one engineer, one UI UX support. And. Also, during that time, uh, we were applying for government grants as well. Uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting topics uh, in the digital engineering space uh, because the NASA and the Department of Defense in particular, they, they really do see um, the need for more help in this digital engineering and digital transformation space. And so there's a large amount of uh, money available through through grants that if you can improve, you're going to build out the right solution, they'll uh, end up giving you non it's a non-dilutive R&D grant. I don't think I'm counting it as revenue. Um, but it's, it's a non-dilutive grant to do uh, focus on a specific task for anywhere from five months through uh, 13 months to two years. 
One thing I want to go back to, uh, it's probably fresh in my head because I just interviewed Ethan Austin this morning uh, from from Techstars. Uh, he was the managing director in, in Denver uh, at the Western Union Accelerator. He was also in LA before. And we talked about a little bit more about the program. I'd love to hear more about, you know, did you have certain KPIs you were really focused on during that experience or what was your experience like going through Techstars? It was, uh, it was really positive. We wanted to, um, what really draws to the program uh, was the fact that it was backed by um, a number of industry, awesome, really awesome industry partners. Uh, we had uh, Maxar, AI, uh, NASA JPL, um, and and uh, United States Air Force. And what really drew us there, particularly the United States Air Force, uh, because we one thing I saw that was really powerful at Slingshot was that company was founded by um, a, a serial entrepreneur and then two uh, ex. Air Force intelligence officers, and they wanted to build the tools they wish they had on the operations floor. And uh, that the uh, I'm in awe of the work that uh, Mel Strickland went in to uh, knock on a door to knock on a door based on her career uh, in the Air Force uh, to get in front of the right people to get all of those early sales. And I, you know, I did not exist in that world at all. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I knew that. Um, you know, I, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, Boeing is out there. We've done a lot of those before. Uh, I grew up around, um, you know, fighter jets, UAVs, and stuff. And I knew that the, um, the the DoD funding in that area would be very valuable to help grow this company because they've always had uh, a push in our science and engineering capabilities in Asia. And so, we wanted to be able to have we had, would have access to those users so we can better support them and also access to the funding that comes associated with those users. And Techstars, uh, this particular accelerator, since it was backed by uh, the Air Force uh, in particular, we wanted to join that so we could learn how to navigate that world. From Techstars then, so where did you, you take the business after that? I know it was pretty recently here. What have you been doing since then? Yeah, it's been a couple of months. And uh, one of the, the biggest partnerships that came out of that for us um, is with NASA JPL. Uh, and so through that effort, we got a chance to really deep dive into what are the different processes that NASA JPL takes to systems engineering. And they have a number of different camps inside there, depending on which stage of the engineering process you're in. Uh, and we got to really understand well, what, what, what niche are we serving? And then also where's the overlap between what we're offering to the, the wider public uh, and what the folks at JPL have developed internally to support their specific use case. And uh, we're currently going through the process of rolling out our our software inside that organization uh, to, to fill the very specific niche on a couple of uh, early stage future lunar lander missions. Uh, and we're going to use that to really understand how they're using our software. And then in the same time, we're going to start to reach out to folks within our network to um, refine the commercial offering. Tell me more about that side in terms of customer acquisition and thinking about who you really want to target. How are you thinking through that and leveraging what you already have in terms of the connections? How are you thinking through that side of things customer acquisition wise? On a longer horizon, really thinking of customer acquisition in terms of, I don't think of it as different complementary waves. Um, you have the uh, government civil uh, wave and I, I would consider NASA, JPL and associate organizations in, in that bucket. Uh, we have uh, commercial and enterprise, which is has their own you know, set of sales cycles um, uh, and customer acquisition and customer pool. And then we also have this direct government sales as well. 
And we're thinking of, um, we're engaging all three uh, because since the sales cycles are so differently on each of those, one will pop uh, when the, another one is at its lowest point. Um, and we can keep things moving, even if, you know, there's lack of government funding in a, in a certain area, a certain investigation, uh, but there, there might be a roaring economy on the, the smaller engineering side. And there's a number of customers that we could sell into in, the, in that aspect. Uh, so we are trying to tackle all three of those, um, at the size of an early stage startup, we're only, uh, <laughs> you know, four people full time, yeah. uh, plus two more, uh, we're, we're we're being significantly more targeted. So we're focusing on getting the JPL effort correct. Uh, we're focusing on executing the three government contracts we have. Uh, and with um, two of those contracts, it's, it's we get to sit down with uh, users inside of NASA and Air Force who have this pain point. Yeah. And the whole purpose of these SBIRs is to eventually transition to a phase three offering, which is where you uh, have commercialized technology you've, you've developed after uh, iterating and prototyping with that captive audience. And so we're focusing on the government aspect uh, through these SBRs. We're focusing on the enterprise aspect uh, through initially our uh, rollout with JPL, uh, which has been a fantastic forcing function in terms of um, going through the process between either putting our software in GovCloud or, or on on-prem and just packaging it for those later enterprise customers in a more forgiving environment. Uh, and then these are all really good forcing functions for our then uh, more self-serve commercial offering that we want to eventually offer online for the, that one to five user tier of the, those early stage uh, companies. You mentioned early on that there there were some kind of like, basically you had this hole in the market of sorts where you thought you could, you could position yourselves. Is that still the case in terms of the competition or what's the competitive landscape look like now? This is obviously the end of 2020 here. Yeah, yeah, there are... Um... Uh, it, it's it's interesting because there are a number of companies that are tackling the digital engineering problem. Uh, and the common thread between all of them are that they identify how awesome the tools are in the software <laughs> engineering space and how they're a little bit more rough around the edges uh, in um, the digital engineering space. And we're squarely in the design side of things. Um, I think one of the, actually, one of my, my a close friend and a mentor is uh, Karan Talati over at First Resonance, and he's building out a product in the, um, in, in the engineering manufacturing space. So conceptually, you would build a product, you build your engineering system in our tool, and then it would, when you go to manufacture it, you would use a tool like Ion, uh, which, which is his tool to then go manufacture that. So there are so many people operating in this, this uh this space and really trying to fill this gap uh, that I don't think anyone is capturing everything. And I don't think anyone wants to capture everything because uh, that would then be, you're just trying to build an, you know, like, like an SAP or an Oracle competitor. That sounds very hard to do uh, <laughs> as an early stage startup. So um, as far as systems engineering software in particular, um, you know, we consider ourselves looking at both that systems engineering uh, design capture as well as that digital thread part. And I don't, I haven't seen anyone that's doing both. Um, but I have seen a couple of tools that actually do really res respect uh, that are doing more of the system engineering capture side of things. For you as well, you mentioned the uh, four full-time employees, the two part-time as well. Were those hires, send me through that process of how you decided to bring those people on board. 
Yeah, and so I should I should back up and say I, I count myself and my co-founder as, as full-time uh, in that count. So us four plus two. But they're all folks uh, within our network or at least one degree removed. Uh, we were super fortunate to um, you know have friends that wanted to go try something new. Um, our first two hires came on at roughly the same time. Um, our VP of product engineer, uh, Cassandra Silva, um, she's she was at McKinsey and she did a lot in terms of digital transformation um, and uh, for large companies. And we originally brought her on just as part-time help for just front-end stuff. But I, I, you know, I could tell that she was really interested in doing <laughs> a lot more than just that. She has this really awesome experience uh, on the executive consultant side at McKinsey uh, and just building up product design and actually doing a lot of that work. And so, you know, we made a, 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 a convincing pitch to quit the, the stability of a, an international consulting firm mid-pandemic to hop on board here uh, and, and join us. And uh, that was, you know, we're really, really grateful to, to have her more than just on that, that front end side, but on, on the full stack side and then really doing a lot of like that design work and uh helping us out with architecture and stuff yeah we have to go back hold on you can't can't go forward yet um <laughs> we we can't let that go because this is this is a huge problem a lot of people have it's like obviously with a startup you don't have the capital resources to pay market rate you're you're convincing people of your vision your journey like, take me through that pitch of pitching her and conv convincing her to join you was it i want to know more about what went, went into that yeah um you know, we, we, we worked with her a little bit, um, you know, just just um, informally to, to help out on the side. And then I think one thing that really helped uh, was the it's important to me to be incredibly transparent. That's one thing I really, really got out of my time at Slingshot Aerospace is that they were always incredibly transparent about the financials. Um, not that like they weren't at other places I've worked, but it's been it's of interest to me as someone who has joined an early stage startup. You're, you're not really you're still working on building the product and your salary depends on that cash out date. And we were upfront about our runway. Um, and when we brought uh, her on, um, you know, we, we wanted to make sure we had at least 18 months. Uh, it was very important for Zeke and me to raise enough money to get through not only the pandemic, but the pandemic in an election year uh, yeah. and just really write out any economic uncertainty uh, that we might expect. Um, since then, with the addition of a government grant, an additional government grant, we're, you know, we're past that 18 month part, which is, which is really nice. Um, and I, I think just kind of showing that this is a stable bet for at least long enough to get the experience that you want as, um, a, a, an incoming early startup employee, uh, I think that was super powerful. And I, I think about that of being on the flip side, just two years prior, joining Slingshot as one of the, the first senior engineers. Uh, that was important to me to understand, well, what is the actual risk here? And what am I being exposed to? And what am I, what are some of the intangibles I want to get out of this? So I think clearly communicating that was super, super helpful. What are the backpacks? I don't want to leave out the other employee first full time we pulled on, uh, Alex Nash. Um, we're really excited to have him. I. Uh, Worked with him uh, at, at a prior job, and he was he was always very growth oriented. He's a self taught engineer, and uh, it's just been really awesome uh, seeing him uh, take on even more and more responsibility and just just uh, grow uh, here as well into just a, a really rock solid full stack developer. Yeah, uh, but we went through the same process in 
uh, when bringing him on board of being super transparent about uh, this is this is this is basically the risk that you're taking to to come here. Yeah, the, what does the next the next few years look like for you? I mean, what are you what are you expecting or what are you hoping for with with Pruitt Ridge in the next few years? Obviously, this is a, a new newer company in the last year you started. What is the kind of the next few years look like for you guys? Yeah, we want to get our uh, engineering tool in the hands of as many um, engineering groups as possible. Um, we're really focusing on going after those early stage efforts that are focusing on. Um, your, your trade studies, your early stage R&D, things I would consider pre-PDR or pre-preliminary design review, uh, because those efforts are significantly more informal. And if we can provide you a better workflow uh, than emailing Excel files back and forth or putting them in a shared Dropbox and trying to track down, well, what is this? What is that? Um, without having to adopt full-fledged system engineering practices, uh, that will that is our, our current priority because as long as we can get the right integrations in place to, to match that, uh, then we're not com competing against those larger uh, scale tools. We're competing against the inefficiencies that you get from just not doing anything at all and just shooting from the hip. Um, and once you have all that information digitized, um, you know, we're, we're working in with, um, standard uh, export formats that you can then take that information with you to that larger tool that you may have invested in in the near term if you're a larger company uh, like a you know one of the major primes for example uh, as we grow and as we grow into with different integrations um, you know we, we really want to make sure that that time that you would then go export your information from our tool uh, is later and later until you you've made decide not to at all Steve, what's been the most helpful for you as a early stage founder of this company, being at you know massive companies previously, SpaceX and actually a startup before though? But what's been most helpful for you as CEO in terms of your own kind of growth to run this company? Oh man, um, that, that's a that's a really good question. I think just operating in organizations that um, uh, that provided me a lot of autonomy. Uh, I really think that that gave me the opportunity to explore and grow in a way that if I were in a more restrictive environment, um, I, I, I would not have. So I think I really valued that experience at both SpaceX and Slingshot. Those are both very flat organizational structures. If you have an issue, um, the, the person that was empowered to resolve that issue is a Slack message or a phone call away. Uh, and you know, both organizations respected the concept of um, uh, applying resources to solve critical problems. Um, I think that that, you know, it's basic. If you have an issue, like you don't want to hold a launch, no one wants to hold a launch. And thankfully, mission management, you're rarely in the, the position that you might. Um, but again, at, at Slingshot, um, I think that that founder DNA coming out of uh, the Air Force, like if, when you're in the Air Force, you if you need resources to do a thing, like you will get resources to do the thing. And I have found myself in situations at uh, Slingshot where um, that that level of trust was applied. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. And then how does that work with you, at least in terms of uh, your investors, asking them along the way, help with them? I mean, how's that relationship with your investors? Uh, it's good. We, uh, we have a really awesome uh, team of investors um, that are very, a very good mix. Um, we have uh, Dustin and Ava over at Wonder Ventures. Uh, they were our, our first check-in, uh, and we're really excited to work with them. They're an LA-specific focused fund. Uh, and then we uh, also have the folks at Haystack uh, up in the Bay Area uh, that have 
invested in comparable companies to us, an engineering company and then also Figma. And I think they see us as like kind of the, the fusion of the two of those. Uh, really, really grateful to have their backing. We have a family fund, Exequia Capital, uh, as well as a couple of angels that we really grateful to have as well. And we just make sure we're always engaging them and making sure that we set up you know, maybe, maybe quarterly calls to talk about, well, here's the status of the business. Uh, this is what we could really use help on. Uh, and this is where I think I could use your specific expertise and connections to, to, to help with this. And we're, we're um, incredibly grateful to the background of those investors uh, to be able to, to respond really quickly to anything you may, you may ask. Yeah. I feel like I'm not really answering the question. Well, I mean, I'm just curious as, for people who get, obviously people know what, want to know what to expect, you know, if they're, be, if they haven't worked with investors before, like, are you able to, what's the communication line around that? You know, how helpful are they? Because it's, there's varying levels, of course, but I'm, you know, just curious at your kind of personal experience around that. I think having continuous communication in a, um, a passive way. So sending out investor updates is, is very valuable to let them passively understand and see what's going on. You may not respond to every one of them, but there's a, if there's a specific ask in your update, they'll respond back with a, hey, give me a write-up and I'll, I'll blast it out. And that is universal across all of our investors. It's awesome. Um, and then uh, the other thing we found valuable is going out of our way to set up um, intermittent calls You know, every, uh, every month with a couple of them and then every quarter with a, a few others, depending on you know, the, the level of like, interest they want at this stage. Yeah. Um, just having that conversation uh, is is very powerful. Like, I don't want to be afraid of my investor. I want to call them up. We're in this journey <laughs> together for the next, you know, 10 years, possibly. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I haven't started a, a company before, but we're at this earlier stage where pre-seed, seed, I mean, they're more, my understanding, they're more party grounds. So you, you, you there's no like, uh, there isn't really a single check that'll 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 be your entire round. Whereas in later stages, um, I think there's just smaller numbers. So yeah. right now we're looking for folks that that really understand the vision, um, and they really get along with both myself and Zeke, and they're people that we can just call up and and like just 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 work with and talk to. With your career, looking at you were previously at Slingshot Aerospace, a, a startup. You're obviously running your own startup now, and you're at SpaceX. Some pretty challenging in terms of hardworking environments. How do you kind of recharge, take time for yourself? That's a good point, and, and that's a really good question, especially considering the world we're in today. Um, yeah. I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I, I will say I feel like I'm honestly operating at 80% during coronavirus times. Uh, just with the extra layer of stress on that and the fact that most of my mechanisms that I would use to recharge um, are, are they're just not available. Um, normally, I have a really, nice, go to the, a really nice gym downtown that has a great you know, a spa and a restaurant and jazz nights and stuff. And it's, it's just a really relaxing getaway. That was like my third home for the longest time. And they've unfortunately had to uh, take away a lot of the amenities just because you can't open up. Uh, a, a sauna or a steam room during a global pandemic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so normally having that third place to go to was incredibly relaxing. And that I've had to replace that with, um, you know, uh, different locations. Uh, I'm trying try to think of examples, trying to like, <laughs> it, it takes more effort is what I'm saying. Like during COVID time, it has taken more efforts to make sure you recharge. Um, 
I'm thankful I have a, a girlfriend that lives over in East Hollywood, so I'll escape to her place for the weekends. Uh, that's been nice to kind of disconnect from my living situation um, with roommates downtown as well as uh, the work environment. So it's just having that way to do that. But um, it, yeah, it's been interesting during <laughs> during coronavirus. Yeah, it's certainly a challenge for for everyone to navigate that. And I love asking the question because there's so many different perspectives on how to go about it. Um, but I still think regardless of how you go about it, it's like finding a way, even if, you know, it's craziness with startups where it can be yeah. all, all consuming. So there's, it's important, but it's still difficult to do. I yeah. Mean, I mean, so I'll say, hard. you know, either, either reading or, you know, more recently, um, find myself drawn to more slower television shows, like, like Star Trek, the next generation, or, for example, rewatching that right now. Yeah. Uh, and it's just wild. The, just the pacing that you have in a show from 1988, 87. Uh, and the stories are just very different. Even if you compare, you know, apples to apples with the next generation and Star Trek Picard, I mean, Picard is very fast paced. There's a lot of explosions and phaser fires and you know, I have my own opinions about where it should fit in the Star Trek world. Well, the next generation, there's like literally an entire episode where uh, Deanna Troy, the ship's counselor's uh, mother, Luxwana, comes on board. Uh, she you know, has the hots for Picard and Picard, you know, doesn't, he's not that into it. So he goes and hides in the holodeck in a 1920s spy, uh, uh, 1920s detective uh, shop in Los Angeles. And it's, that was the episode. And you would never have that as like an entire uh, show in a more modern TV show. It would have to be like, sir, the Romulans are, are they're in orbit above San Francisco today. I have they get past our defenses and like <laughs> this whole other action thing. And, just uh, the, the the pacing and the the pure optimism of a show like that built in the late 80s and early 90s of, yeah, we have problems here on Earth, uh, but 300 years in the future, we're going to figure it out so we can just go hang out in deep space in a spaceship that just has carpeting everywhere and we're tooling around in our pajamas. Like it's like it's it's a much different forward looking view. And I think that's really been one of the, the bigger things to recharge with in the 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 recent history. So. You, you mentioned reading as well. What are you re reading these days? Oh man. Um, I'm trying to think of which one I want to talk about. Uh, so right now I'm getting through a book called City of Quartz, which is about the history of Los Angeles. Um, it's going all the way back to the original um, settlement of the city, going through the politics of uh, why things are the way they are in Los Angeles. Um, the, the different towns that we have and how we actually grew in, grew from, you know, 11 to 15 different, um, 11 to 50 different towns and cities into one giant behemoth and why the, uh, the city council structure is the way it is. And it really makes a lot of frustrations that I might have about like, why isn't there a bike lane on seventh street? Why can't the mayor do anything about that with, with, uh, vision zero? And it's, well, really the person in charge is. Uh, this council member, and it, that's because we've given all this power to, to to those folks in this area because of these historical reasons. Like, it gives me a lot more historical context about about our city. So yeah, no, I like that. I think it's cool to kind of discover your city in a new way when you're already living it. I mean, there's so much history that goes into any of it. And one thing I, I want to go back to as we kind of wrap things up here is just where did this interest in space come from for you? I think I always read science fiction uh, as a kid. Um, my dad was an engineer uh, working at Boeing and you know, he was working on aircraft uh, when I was growing up. So I was always like at least exposed to, you know, electrical engineering, just things. 
Um, and in, I guess, middle school and high school, um, you know, I was really interested in, okay, so I was, I was I always read science fiction, watch TV shows and stuff, but during um, middle school and high school, I spent a lot of time in the theater groups at my school. So um, the tech, mostly working in technical theater, so either the soundboard, the light board, um, set building, et cetera. And it gave me an opportunity to really work with my hands and in a, in a, in a team to build something from absolute scratch yeah. to something that had to be functional and working sometimes with like elaborate pulley systems and doors and, and like technology in the forms of all the microphones and the soundboard and everything. Um, working through that process where you had to build, 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 then you sit down and you have to actually execute as a group for a couple of nights and then you tear it all down and start over. And so having that rapid fire iteration was really interesting. And it wasn't until I think late high school where um, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to get a degree in aerospace engineering or get a degree in tactical theater. And I, this is St. Louis, Missouri, I ended up going to St. Louis University because they had both a, a strong liberal arts program, but also a really strong engineering school. And I ended up uh, kind of between high school and college. I also worked for a local music theater troupe, uh, just as their sound guy for, for about a year uh, called New Line Theater. And that gave me that experience on a more professional level um, while I, you know, start my time at, 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 at college. And it was kind of kept that that simmering in the background but i started to focus more and more on the aerospace engineering work uh, i didn't really get involved in the liberal arts stuff at, at st louis university uh, but i did get pulled into their um their space lab there where we you know built a small team that built a, a small cubesat and eventually ended up launching it right after i, I graduated and so <laughs> seeing the uh the parallels between that time in uh working in tactical theater and then later fast forward to building a small satellite and even later on sitting in, you know, mission control in the mission management position at, at, at SpaceX, like the, the parallels are, are like almost one-to-one -one where we're all following a script. You have yeah. call out, you need to call out on the, on the net for, for your role in it. And at the end of it, there's this, this incredible show. And it's, um, I don't know, it's really mixed up in that. It, it's like something to do with the, the forward looking nature of all the literature and like how it's very, um, there's always something better at the end of the line in the, the science fiction and the fact that you can just use your hands and build something. is just super, super incredible. Steve, if someone wants to get in touch with you, learn more about what you're working on, where should they go? Uh, they should go to pruittridge.com, P-R-E-W-I-T-T-R-I-D-G-E.com. And you can reach me by email, steve at pruittridge.com. Uh, uh, and I'll you know, look forward to talking with you more there. Awesome. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, Justin. Uh, really, really enjoyed being on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.